do welcome each one uh, to the adult uh, Bible class this morning. We'll commence in prayer, and then we'll turn to the Word of God uh, together. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee that uh, this Lord's Day morning uh, we can enter afresh into Thy presence. We can come together as Thy people to meet with Thee. And Father, we pray that uh, Thou would be pleased to instruct our souls this day. And as we turn afresh to uh, consider the doctrine of Scripture, uh, Father, we thank Thee for uh, this written revelation of Thine to us. And Father, we pray today that as we uh, move further in uh, this study, Thou would uh, presence Thyself with us, teach us, encourage us. And may we have uh, re-emphasized to our hearts and our minds uh, the necessity of Scripture. And Father, the great need that we have of Thy Word day by day. Father, we pray Thou would bless us as we gather around Thy truth. We do remember the Sunday school downstairs. And bless uh, the teachers, bless the children, bless Thy truth as it is proclaimed. And may it be so to the glory and honor of Thy name. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. And I'm going to uh, turn to a number of passages of Scripture uh, this morning. Uh, firstly, to uh, Psalm 19. <coughs> the 19th Psalm, it is a Psalm of David. And there are verses here that uh, mention uh, the Word of God, have reference to the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 19 and the verse in number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Then we'll move uh, to Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, certainly a familiar uh, passage to us. Second Timothy 3, uh, the verse uh, number 14. And again, we've read this before. We'll read it again and refresh ourselves with what the apostle is saying. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. And then we'll move to Luke chapter 16. And uh, the last part of that chapter, uh, we did preach on it back in November, if I remember right. And here we have the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the rich man is pleading with Abraham to send his brethren uh, to Lazarus. And uh, we'll uh, break in uh, to that passage, verse 27. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, 
that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. The study of God is called theology. And while many will shy away from interacting with theology because they view the subject as too dry and too deep and too difficult, the true believer should never, should never shy away from theology. It should never be dry because theology, the doctrine of God, it teaches us great and wonderful truths about God and strengthens, waters, and fertilizes our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And by extension, the doctrine of Scripture should never just be dry information to us, but something that warms and stirs our souls, enabling us to grow in the Lord because Scripture contains all of the truth that God has supernaturally, supernaturally revealed and given to us in His precious Word. And as we considered last time, the Scripture being the inspired Word of God has a divine authority. Our last thought on that was that this authority that belongs to Scripture ought to be practiced by us. We must live according to the authority of Scripture. It's not merely a nice doctrine to have in our minds or have in our hearts uh, where we look at God's Word and think we're bound by it and we're to follow it, but in reality we don't and we set it aside, that doctrine is to be practiced. The authority of Scripture means that if we truly believe it, if it's not merely in our, heart, our minds but our hearts, we are to live by it. Scripture is our final authority. Scripture is uh, what governs us. And in connection with the application of the origin and authority of Scripture, there are many great doctrines that have a practical effect upon our lives. Again, this doctrine should not be dry, but it should have a practical implication upon our minds and our hearts. And this morning, I've drawn your attention afresh to Luke chapter 16. The account here is familiar. It's familiar to us, and if you heard the message back in November, again, it will be familiar. There are many doctrines in Luke 16 that the Lord draws our attention to. But among other things, he draws our attention to a particular doctrine that we touched upon in November, namely the sufficiency of Scripture. And that is where we plan to go this morning. And I think uh, because we started a few minutes late as well, and because of the length of my message this morning, we'll come back to it next week. The sufficiency of Scripture. What is meant by that term? The word sufficiency itself could be described or defined as an adequate supply of something essential. An adequate supply of something essential. This morning when I went out to the car and I had to take the ice off, I realized that the shoes that I had put on were not sufficient. They were not 
adequate. Shoes are essential, uh, but the shoes I had on were not adequate, and I'm very thankful for the car door that stopped me from falling on the road uh, when uh, my feet left the ground. An adequate supply of something essential. And when we apply that to Scripture, we see that Scripture itself is an adequate supply of something that God deems essential to us. An adequate supply, meaning that all our needs are met by it. Perhaps maybe the word abundant supply uh, may give us a better idea, uh, but adequate supply, it is enough. It is abundant. Greg Allison was a, is a historical theologian, and he defined it this way. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words of God that He has intended His people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, for obeying Him perfectly. Everything we need in life for salvation, for living for God, for our doctrine, for the running of the church of Christ and the governing of it, everything is found within the Word of God. The sufficiency of Scripture teaches that Scripture contains all the words of God that we need to obey Him and to live for Him. John MacArthur said, God's Word is sufficient for every need of the human soul. And this is something that uh, churches and believers and uh, the Reformed uh, Church has believed uh, for centuries. When we look back at the Old or the New Testament, it's something the early church believed, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says in chapter 1, the section 6, that the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or by the traditions of men. In other words, Scripture is complete. The canon of Scripture, Genesis uh, to Revelation, those 66 books, are complete. We're not to add to it. We're not to take it away. It is God's complete and sufficient revelation that contains everything we need. The confession says about uh, those things that can, by good and necessary consequence, be deduced from Scripture. Uh, there are many doctrines we could go into here that uh, men uh, believe and men will argue about. Uh, we could think, perhaps, uh, of the Trinity uh, as a general example. And when we uh, think of the Trinity, it is not set out in Scripture in a formulated fashion. Uh, but yet, when we look at the Word of God, uh, we see uh, that the Trinity is found therein, and uh, that doctrine is deduced from Scripture. In Scripture, it is not set out as the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Paul does not spend a chapter setting out that doctrine, but when we take the whole of Scripture, we can see uh, that uh, this doctrine is true, and that uh, there is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is what the confession means when it says about those things that can be deduced uh, from Scripture. There are other matters and doctrines we could mention there as well. Uh, but Scripture is a complete word. 
It is a sufficient word. The confession teaches that God's word is our final authority because it contains everything we need to know. And the truth of sufficiency builds on that fact that God's revelation has divine authority. And dear believer, this is a truth that we ought never to neglect. We ought never to ignore it. It is necessary for our spiritual development and our spiritual growth. If we come to the point where we believe that the Word of God is not enough, that Scripture does not contain those things, those doctrines, those truths that we need in order to grow and to be nearer to God, then where will we go for those truths? Prophecies, visions, the ideas and thoughts of men, other so-called revelations. If we think the Word is not sufficient, then we do not rest upon a firm foundation as we ought to rest. We'll come back to that at some stage, but let us set the scene with that thought. This subject is important. I cannot stress how important it is that we believe that God's Word is sufficient. Joel Beakey said that it is a doctrine which we must teach and uphold, lest the church build with straw and wood instead of the imperishable gold and silver of divine truth. And so I want us to consider the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. I have six, uh, six thoughts here, and uh, we perhaps will only get through the first two this morning. Uh, but uh, let us consider these things together. Firstly, it is a biblical doctrine. It is a biblical doctrine. And this ought to be the obvious starting point for every doctrine. Is it biblical? Is it found in Scripture? The Bereans went to the Word of God when they heard the teaching of Paul, and they saw that Scripture taught the very things that Paul was teaching. And we ought to do the same when it comes to doctrine. And when we think of the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, we find uh, this doctrine throughout the Word of God. It declares that everything we need for salvation and sanctification, to use those two terms to sum up all of Christianity, is revealed and taught in Scripture. Therefore, the church has no authority, and you as an individual have no authority, to base your belief, to base your teaching on anything else. For firstly, God has revealed nothing else. God has inscripturated nothing else. And secondly, anything else that we build our foundation upon would be a work of mere man and not of God. An early church a father responded to an early bishop of Rome, known uh, today perhaps by the title Pope, but an early bishop of Rome who based an argument on tradition. And he said in response, if therefore it is either prescribed in the gospel or contained in the epistles or the acts of the apostles, that let this divine and holy tradition be observed. But he said, what obstinacy, obstinacy is that? Or what presumption to prefer human tradition to divine ordinance? Custom without truth is the antiquity of error, he said. And so Scripture is sufficient in revealing the truth of God to our salvation. If we consider Proverbs 22, 
The word of God says there, verse 17, bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thy heart unto wisdom. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep within thee, if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips, that, they, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. The knowledge of God, the wisdom of the Lord is found in his sufficient word. Robert Letham, theologian, said that we must recognize what Scripture does not teach. He said it is not a scientific textbook. He says the works of creation and providence disclose, disclose the eternal power and deity of God. But he says the Bible is complete for the purpose for which it is given. And of course, if we were to look at the Scripture, there are many things Scripture does not contain. But it is sufficient in its purpose for teaching us the way of salvation, for bringing us into that knowledge of God, knowledge of our sin, knowledge of God and His ways, teaching us how we are to live, teaching us about the importance of sanctification. Scripture speaks about many things. But if you had a problem with an appliance at your home, you're not going to open the Scripture to find the instructions. That is separate. The Word of God does not contain everything. And even when we think of the Gospels and think of uh, Luke and John and Mark and Matthew and even the Acts of the Apostles, everything that took place in the early church and in the life of Christ cannot be written into four or five books contained in the Scriptures. There is much more, as the Scripture itself testifies. There is much more could be said. But what we have, God has said, is sufficient. It is enough. It is enough for its purpose. For its purpose. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 4. There are a number of uh, prohibitions in Scripture and looking at the scriptural evidence here for the sufficiency of the Word of God, there are prohibitions on adding and removing from Scripture. These prohibitions are scriptural evidence of the claim of sufficiency. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, we have those words, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. In other words, the word that is given, God's word that is given, we're not to add to it. We're not to add the ideas of men to it, for that is what we would be adding to it. And of course, in history, we see that the canon of Scripture has been added to by the Roman Catholic Church, adding the books of the Apocrypha. Of course, the uh, Anglican Church has had done the same when the authorized version uh, was published in 1611. A lot of the uh, Puritans, many uh, were against it because it contained uh, the Apocrypha, and it took uh, a time before uh, the authorized version uh, became uh, used in uh, practice as uh, we would use it today. And the Geneva Bible uh, was used by many. But that was the influence of the Anglican system. We can think of the cults, Mormonism, 
and the Jehovah's Witnesses who have their writings and have their version of Scripture and that has been changed and, and, and twisted, adding to the Word of God, the Mormons and the works of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. It's not just Scripture, but it is also the Book of Mormon. But the Word of God tells us here we're not to add to Scripture. We're not to add to the Word of God. The revelation God has given, it is enough. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, uh, we see here uh, the Word of God says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Add not. And this is something that it stands against and resists the modern-day charismatic movement of adding to the Word of God prophecies and visions and whatever else it might be, new revelations of God. Adding all these things, it's not to be done. It's not to be done. And why is it not to be done? Well, because God has said so. And what is the implication of that? What God has given is therefore enough. It is enough. The Savior in Mark 7 speaks about those that teach for doctrines the commandments of men. He's not speaking to them positively. He's not praising them for adding great things to His words and to His commandments. He says, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. It's a negative thing. Adding to the Word of God is against the Word of Christ. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, the verse 2. Moving more now to the positive side of this, we have uh, Paul speaking to Timothy. He gives Timothy a very simple instruction. Preach the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. In your ministry, in your church, wherever you are found, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, but preach the Word. Stay close to the Word. And Paul is telling Timothy to preach the Word, the only Word, the Word of God. Not to just preach and preach all sorts of things, but the preaching is to be based on the Word, by which we understand to be the Word of God, because it is sufficient. And therefore, the preacher of God's truth must preach the truth of God with constancy and with authority. The necessity of the message of Scripture must shine through. No man should have any doubt as to the sufficiency of Scripture when they hear the Word of God preached. Such should be the presentation of it by the help of the Spirit of God. And if we turn back to Luke chapter 16, we find that Lazarus, or the rich man desires Lazarus to go back to his brethren, to warn them about eternity, to warn them about hell to urge them to turn from their ways, the paths of the rich man himself that led him to a lost eternity. And the response of Abraham is clear. Verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Again, this man pleads. He 
is sure that if one went on to them from the dead, they would see this miracle and they would repent and change their ways. In verse 31, Abraham says again, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. And what is Abraham saying here? What is Christ saying? If the Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures in the context here, but if the Word of God is not heard, is not believed, then there is nothing else. They're not going to believe if there's a miracle. And what the Savior is teaching here is that the Word of God is above the miracle. The Word of God, the sure written testimony of God in His Word is above the miracle. It is sufficient. It is sufficient. No miracle, how, no matter how unique, how marvelous, can come above the sufficiency of the Word of God. If we move back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse 16, and we see the Apostle Paul emphasizing the divine origin of Scripture. In verse 16, uh, we have those words, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we see the implication of this divine origin. Scripture is sufficient in all the things that Paul then lists in verse 16, culminating in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Scripture is sufficient in all these things, and of course, in what is mentioned in verse 15, able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Why is Scripture able to do this? Why is it profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness? That the man of God, in verse 17, will be perfect or complete because it is a word that is sufficient. A word that is sufficient. We'll come back to uh, this verse uh, probably uh, next Lord's Day. But we've seen something of this being a biblical doctrine. Many other verses we could use, but as it is a biblical doctrine, that implies something to us, that we must believe it, that we must practice it, that this doctrine must be treasured. This world will attack the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. God's Word is not sufficient, this world says. This world denies the sufficiency of Scripture. But yet, dear child of God, believe that it is enough. It is enough to direct you to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's enough to encourage your heart in love for Christ, to walk in His ways and in His commandments. It is enough to teach you about your sinful heart, uh, that you would put to death uh, that sin that is within you by the help of the Spirit of God. It is enough to comfort you and to encourage you and to lift you up uh, through those hard times. It is a word that brings you closer to Christ. The hymn writer said, oh, for a closer walk with God. But that walk cannot be close if the Word of God is set aside because it is sufficient. Let us acknowledge that and let us keep God's Word close to our hearts. I want you to notice secondly here uh, that it is a Reformation doctrine, a Reformation doctrine. And we'll come to this point, and I think at the end we'll leave it there. Uh, we will uh, consider it being an instructive doctrine. 
and we'll consider it being an encouraging doctrine and a rejected doctrine and an abused doctrine uh, next Lord's Day, God willing. Uh, but let us consider that it is a Reformation doctrine. This point, it does not trump the first point of the sufficiency of Scripture being a biblical doctrine, because that, of course, is the great test of a doctrine, that it is biblical. But I want to consider this in the historical context, when the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture was set aside by the Roman Catholic Church. And the doctrine that we have before us this morning is one of the great doctrines that was rediscovered and preached afresh, expounded with power, believed upon, and defended with great zeal and vigor during the days of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Alongside justification by faith alone, it was one of those doctrines that uh, greatly uh, showed the divide between the Roman Catholic Church and Martin Luther and John Calvin and Protestantism. And it still is. That has not changed. Though men try to change it, uh, the, there is that great difference, that great divide still on the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. And of course, this doctrine is as important today as it was then, and maybe even more vital today for us to understand, uh, because not only is it eroded in the Roman Catholic Church, but we also see in Protestant churches, the Word of God is not deemed to be sufficient. And there are three particular ways in which the belief and practice of this doctrine waned over the centuries leading up to the Protestant Reformation. Firstly, we have tradition. There was a greater emphasis placed on man-created traditions, doctrines formulated by man. I'm not going to go into a history here of all the little doctrines and teachings that came in during uh, this time, uh, but it is sufficient to say there was a greater reliance on man-created traditions. Uh, we have, uh, for uh, example, uh, the, uh, we have the doctrine of Mary uh, that has changed over the years and uh, we could say developed over the years. Uh, we have uh, the doctrine where uh, the priest is not allowed to marry that uh, developed, I believe, pretty early on. There are many doctrines that have no foundation in Scripture. Tradition was important. There was the adding to the canon. Scripture was added to. Traditions and uh, those books of the Apocrypha were treated as the Word of God also. And then thirdly, there was the authority of the church as it began to exert its power and influence over the Scriptures. It affected the availability of Scripture, the translation of Scripture, the reading of Scripture, the interpretation of Scripture. And we can think in church history of men like William Tyndale, a man who was burned at the stake. Why? Because he desired to give the Word of God in the language of the people, to the people, which they did not have before. And of course, the authority of the church is seen in many, many other ways as well. The Council of Trent was set up to counter the Reformation. And the following in the fourth session on Scripture uh, was uh, recorded and published by uh, that council. It speaks about it being the sacred and holy ecumenical and general synod of Trent, lawfully assembled in uh, the Holy Ghost. Uh, keeping this always in view, 
uh, a previous uh, document, uh, that errors being removed, the purity itself of the gospel must be preserved in the church. I think that's utter nonsense what they're talking about so far uh, because of what they believe and what they taught and what they set out. Uh, but then they come to this, and they say that seeing clearly that this truth and discipline are contained in the written books and the unwritten traditions, which received by the apostles from the mouth of Christ himself or from the apostles themselves, the Holy Ghost dictating, have come down even unto us, transmitted, as it were, from hand to hand. Unwritten traditions, the written books, there was this authority given not only to the written Scripture, but to those unwritten traditions. And oh, how unwritten traditions can change over the years. I mean, we can talk about family tradition and things we do as a family, but they can be easily forgotten and new things can take their place. All on the same authority as Scripture. And so instead of assessing and discerning the doctrine that the Reformers taught as that doctrine which closely follows the doctrine taught within the Scriptures, the Roman Catholic Church then reinforced its belief that the Scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Apocrypha, were on the same level as those unwritten traditions that had been passed down through the generations. And the church was in the sorry state it was in because of failing to believe and practice the sufficiency of Scripture. There was sin and wickedness and ungodliness, a lust for power, immorality, spiritual darkness. All these things reigned within the church because God's Word was no longer sufficient, no longer relevant, no longer absolutely necessary for everything in the life of the church and that of the Christian. And there needed to be a reformation. And the same is true today, whether we look at ourselves or we look at the face of Christianity, there is a need to be continually reformed in the mind, in the heart, reformed in our doctrine in order to be conformed to the sufficient Word of God. The great Reformation cry, sola scriptura, scripture alone is an assertion of belief in the sufficiency of the Bible. Martin Luther himself said that the Word of God and no one else, not even an angel, should establish articles of faith. And we see then in opposition to the Roman Catholic uh, setting aside of this doctrine, the Reformers held to it strongly held to it. The Geneva Confession of 1536 said, For our rule of faith and religion, we wish to follow the Scripture alone without mixing it with any other thing which might be fabricated by the interpretation of men apart from the Word of God. John Calvin said, All our wisdom is contained in the Scriptures, and neither ought we to learn nor teachers to draw their instructions from any other source. The Puritan William Perkins said, the sufficiency is that whereby the Word of God is so complete that nothing may either be put to it or taken from it which appertaineth to the proper end thereof. Another Puritan said, 
that all things necessary to salvation are contained in the Scriptures, and also those things necessary for the instruction and edification of the church. So, in other words, as this doctrine developed in the Reformation period, men that came after, those Puritans that came after, held strongly to this. We follow in that uh, tradition, and uh, not, I suppose I should be careful using the word tradition, uh, but we uh, continue in that belief. The Scripture contains all that we need. It's a biblical doctrine. It is a Reformation doctrine. Dear believer, it's a truth we must hold dear because it is biblical. And as we consider that it is a Reformation truth, and we'll come to this next week, but it has been rejected by many. God's Word is not sufficient. God's Word is not enough. But yet the truth is, it is enough. Let us pray for reformation. The reformation of our own hearts. Do we doubt that God's Word is all that we need? Do we doubt that Scripture is sufficient for our needs? Let us pray the Lord would reform our hearts, change our ways, change our thinking, give us that greater love and desire for His truth. When we look at the church of Christ today, and that which professes to be the church of Christ, and we see that this doctrine has been set aside, Let us pray for reformation according to the Word of God. Let us pray that men and those that profess Christ will see that God's Word is sufficient, that the teaching of Scripture is still sufficient today. Oh, how men look at the Word of God and they see those teachings that don't align with the thinking of society today. those teachings are set aside. Set aside. I'm looking at my notes here, and I see a man uh, by a particular name that I just quoted, William Eames. And I'm reminded of a man who's the same surname uh, back in Northern Ireland, who is uh, a leader of a church. Uh, but yet, this is the very thing he does. He embraces sin. He embraces immorality. He embraces all those things that God is against in Scripture. He sets aside the sufficiency of Scripture in those things. Oh, time has moved on. We're now to embrace these things. Society has moved on. It's a rejection that God's Word is sufficient and relevant for this generation also. But the Word of God never changes. Let us be reminded of that. Let us pray for reformation. Let us pray that hearts would be changed by men realizing that the Word of God is not merely relevant to the first century or to the 16th century, but to today, and that it is still sufficient for today. The Lord bless His Word uh, to us, and then next, uh, next week uh, we'll move on and consider uh, those other points. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy truth today, and uh, we pray Thou would uh, bless it to us, and Thou would apply it to us. We thank Thee that this doctrine is a biblical doctrine. And we thank Thee that when we look back at the Reformation, we can see that the Reformers believe this truth. 
They sought to live according to the Word of God. They sought to teach according to the Word of God. And, O oh God, we pray that we too would hold firm to Thy Word, that we would believe it, we would practice it, we would teach it alone. Father, we pray that even as we do not have time to consider today, we thank Thee that uh, this doctrine is instructive to us. And we can think of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and all the great blessed uses of the Word of God. Father, we thank Thee. It's an encouraging doctrine. It's a doctrine that encourages our hearts that as we seek to teach Thy Word to others, the very Word we're teaching is a sufficient Word. Father, we thank Thee that Scripture is sufficient. Bless Thy truth to our hearts. Give us that desire to believe and to practice the sufficiency of Scripture. And may thy name be glorified. We ask thee that would part us now with thy blessing. And as we come to the morning service in a few moments' time, Father, lead us, bless us, draw us closer to thyself, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.